from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies, this is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, Pardes alum. This week, Mitzavim. Shana Tova, everybody, and thank you again for tuning in to the podcast. While you're in synagogue during this high holiday period, please talk to your friends and neighbors about the podcast, let them know what you think about it, and please help them out if they have questions on how to subscribe to it. Our listenership grows with your help. Thank you very much. This week, Nitzavim with Rabbi Alex Israel. Rabbi Alex Israel is a member of the party's faculty. And now, Rabbi Alex Israel. Thank you, Larry. One of the most famous lines in Judaism is the famous 12th principle of the Rambam, Animamim b'munash I believe with a perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah, v'afal pishit and even though the Messiah waits or tarries, im Despite that, I will wait every day for his coming. This is a famous Jewish notion that we are waiting for Mashiach. We are waiting for the Messiah. But are we? Are we waiting for the Messiah, or is the Messiah waiting for us? And this is the topic that I would like to address today, because we will find in the Torah two very different models of how redemption is meant to happen. Um, Redemption. (coughs) Who kickstarts it? Is it kickstarted by the Jewish people, or is it kickstarted by God? Uh, we're going to look at two models, one in the book of Dvarim and one in the book of Vayikra, and see how they differ. But before we do, let's begin with a Talmudic passage from Masechet Sanhedrin, where we will see a amazing argument between Rav the first gen- and Shmuel, the early Amoraim, Rav and Shmuel. Amorav Kalu Kolakitzin. Rav says, all the predestined dates for redemption have come and gone, and now the redemption depends only on tshuva umasim tovim, on repentance and good deeds. It is enough for a mourner to keep his period of mourning. It's fascinating to hear these scholars discussing this a mere, you know, 150 years after the destruction of the Second Temple, where Rav says all the prospective times for for redemption have come and gone. Just 150 years after the destruction, we're now 2,000 years on. Uh, But what are they arguing about? Rav says that... Since all the dates have come and gone, what's what God waiting for? He's waiting for us. God is waiting for us to shape up, um, and we have to do repentance and good deeds. Shmuel says no. Uh, We were sent into exile for our sins, and if we had to sort of pay off our crimes, then there's a certain point at which we've paid it off. It is sufficient for a mourner to keep his period of mourning, in other words, a mourner only sits shiver for seven days, only might keep his year of mourning for a year and, and, and not longer. 
And if we are being punished by being put into exile, so there must be a time when the punishment is over, when we've done our time, when we've paid off our debt to God, and then God will redeem us, whether we have done tshuva or not. If somebody is sent to jail for a particular crime, they might get time off for good behavior, but when they've done, whether they express remorse or not, as long as they don't repeat offend, by the time that their sentence is over, they're done. There's nothing more to discuss. So, are we waiting for God to tell us when it's over? Or is God waiting for us to reform ourselves? And this is going to be really represented by two different models. And the first that we're going to look at is in our Parshat Shavua, in Parshat Nitzavim, Devarim chapter 30, a passage which is sometimes called the Parshat HaTshuva. And why is it called this? Because the verb Lashuv, to return, uh, appears in this particular passage some seven or eight times. And I'll just read a little bit. Um, this is following from last week, where we read about if we keep the Torah, there will be blessings, and if we don't follow the Torah, there will be curses, exile, rack and ruin. And uh, this is where this passage begins. Chapter 30, verse 1. When all these things befall you, the blessing and the curse, and you take them to heart, you take your history to heart, you take your situation in your, you know, in your hands and say, why has all this happened? in the midst of the nations where God has banished you. And then what happens? Verse 2. And you return to the Lord your God. You and your children listen to his commandments, which I command you this day, you, your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. And then, God will bring back your cap- captives and have mercy on you. And he will uh, bring back, bring you back from all the nations where you have been, sca- where God scattered you. Then the Lord your God will restore your captives and take you back in mercy. He'll bring you together from all the places where God has scattered you, even if your outcasts are at the ends of the world. From there, God will gather you. From there, he will fetch you. And God will bring you to the land your fathers possessed. And you shall possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and even more numerous than your fathers. This is an amazing image, but I want you to pay attention to the dynamic. It starts off, again, using the word Lashuv, taking things to heart, reflecting on your situation, Cheshbon Nefesh. And then there is a, what we might call repentance. You, re- you, you come back to God and start keeping listening to his voice. 
as we'd say in Shema. But then, suddenly the subject switches from us thinking things over, from us returning to God, suddenly the shoe is on the other foot. God will return to you and he will bring back your captives from all over the world. And in fact, if we continue reading, there is a, an ascending scale because the next phrase is God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love God with all your heart and all your soul. Of course, God cannot circumcise a heart and this is explained by the Ramban Nachmanides as meaning that God will take away your inclination to evil. But then when we get to verse 8, Va'atatashuv, again, the subject, the actor switches back to the Jewish people, where it says, and you will return, but return to what? So maybe it means, and you will intensify and continue to listen to God and do all of his commands. Back to God, verse 9. And God will um, grant you abundant prosperity in all your undertakings, in your children, in the offspring of your cattle. In other words, the economy will boom. And then, God again will delight in you as he did with your fathers. What I see in this passage is something remarkable. First of all, who kickstarts the process? It is the Jewish people who kickstart the process. God is waiting for the Jewish people. And uh, what seems to happen here is, if you notice, there's something reciprocal going on here. We return to God and then God brings us back to our land and uh, helps us even to keep the mitzvot more intensively. And then we return and we intensify our observance of the commandments. And then God joyfully returns over us, improving physical things like the economy and celebrating in the relationship with the Jewish people. This is, a, when I hear the words, I almost hear the words of the wedding song, It's almost like a love relationship where the more you invest, the more you reap, the deeper the relationship goes as each partner puts in the effort into the relationship. I would say that usually, especially at this time of year, we think of tshuva uh, as repentance. Tshuva is a personal process whereby the individual uh, reflects on their lives and tries to improve in this or that activity or mode of behavior. But here, the verb lashuv is used on a much wider palette. It is described as a national process. And it's a process that doesn't just relate to behavioral issues. It's an entire process of restoration, of return, of rehabilitation of the nation on a national scale, going back to nationhood, to land, to existing not as individuals in a diasporic reality, but coming back to full statehood. And this is the model that we see here in the book of Devarim, in the book of Deuteronomy, which seems to indicate that God 
is waiting for the Jewish people to make the first move. Well, I promised you that there was a different model, and that you find in Vayikra. At the end of the Tochacha, at the end of the rebuke, the blessings and curses of Vayikra, there's a very different end. And the end, I'll read it to you, and maybe to save us time, I will read it um, in English. I'll probably relate a little bit to the Hebrew. It starts um, how in the situation where Vavaratem Bagoyim, and you will um, get lost or get destroyed amongst the nations, you shall perish amongst the nations, and the land your enemies shall consume you. And those who survive shall wallow in their iniquity in the land of your enemies. In other words, we have sinned and we remain in our sin in the land of our enemies. And then it says something interesting. At a certain point, the people will confess their sins and the sins of their forefathers in that they sinned against me, says God. However, this confession does not lead to tshuva. This confession, this, there's a realization that the people have sinned, but they don't seem to be able to um, take it forward to the next stage, which is an actual change. Because if we read here, again, in Vayikra chapter 26, verse 43, he says, God says, I'll be hostile to them, and I'll put them in the land of their enemies, and then their heart will humble itself, and then they shall... Um, pay for their sins and I will remember my covenant with Yaakov and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham I will remember Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and I will remember the land and then it continues to say the land will be forsaken for them it will make up for all the sabbatical years in its desolation while they atone for their iniquity and it finishes by saying, I will remember the covenant with the first ones, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who I freed from the land of Israel in the sight of their nations. What are we seeing in this passage? It seems like the redemption comes along not because we change, not because we do tshuva. We reach the stage of vidoy, of confession, where we understand that we have sinned, but we don't seem to be able to take that confession and turn it into a, a real change. And so therefore, why does God redeem us? God redeems us because he has already made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to continue with the Jewish people because he's made a covenant with the land. The Ha'aret kar, I remember the land, and it seems like God has decided that he doesn't want to break this connection between the people and the land. He continues with what we call Zuchut Avot, a very frequent feature of our high holiday davening, um, where we rely on the covenant, Labrit Habet Valtefen Layetzer, and uh, the covenant with our forefathers, which is going to give us atonement. So, in this model, God redeems us despite ourselves. If you want, in this model, we are waiting for God. Because even though we haven't uh, altered our behavior, we haven't um, reversed our conduct, nonetheless, God is going to redeem us because of a prior covenant. Um, Nachmanides, 
echoes the difference between Vayikra, the Leviticus covenant that we just read, and the Deuteronomy covenant, which we said, um, which we which we read earlier, and he says, it, it, talking about the Vayikra covenant, he says, look at the redemption. He says, I'm reading the Ramban in English. He says that God only promises that He will remember the covenant of the forefathers and remember the land, but not that He will forgive their sins or atone for their iniquities, and. And I'll add, more importantly, it doesn't say he will renew his love like in the old, in, in, in days of old, nor does it say that he will gather in their exiles. And now the Ramban says something remarkable. He says that the model given by Vayikra, which doesn't have tshuva, which doesn't necessarily have return, is the model of the return from Galut Bavel, from the Babylonian exile. During the Babylonian exile, we were exiled to Babylon, but only a fraction of the people came home. And when they came back to Israel, they were in a very sorry state, and they certainly were not particularly observant. They weren't looking after the temple. Shabbat was flaunted, and there were all sorts of other sins which they were involved with. And Ramban says that there God brought us back. After how long? After 70 years. It's true, we had paid off our sins after 70 years, and God brought us back. But, he says, the current redemption, the current, sorry, the current exile that we're in, he says, the current exile, which is a 2,000 year long exile, that is the model of Sefer Devarim. Now, I want to examine this, then I'll come back to the Ramban. Which model do you think is better? Which would you prefer? Would you prefer a model where redemption is assured, by God, and where we don't need to repent, the Vayikra model, or would you prefer the model of Devarim, where we have to make the first move, we have to do it all, and um, no time is assured and we have to actually do a full repentance. If you gave me a choice, I would say the Vayikra model is much easier. God does it and we don't need to do all the heavy lifting. And therefore, that would seem to be preferable. However, I think that would be a delusion. And I say that for a very specific reason. The question is, what is the pedigree of the return? What is the pedigree of the redemption that we're dealing with? In Vayikra, we don't do any of the work. God brings us back despite ourselves. And we haven't really changed this might be akin to a situation whereby you, I don't know, had a company. A company was losing money and went into receivership. And if we can imagine that the courts wiped out all of the losses, all of the bad debts, and uh, told the company, go, carry on again. We don't want all the workers to lose their jobs. But without any sort of management overhaul, without any sort of introspection into why the company was losing money, the company will just continue to be at a financial loss. And whatever problems happened before will just repeat themselves. No change of behavior has been made. Nobody has examined why the company is losing money and therefore nothing will change. Or imagine a situation whereby Shalom, God forbid, you had a couple who were going through marital difficulties 
and for whatever reason they separated and then they were forced to by the courts who knows if we can imagine such a scenario and uh they were brought back together for some reason once again unless they've gone through through some sort of therapy some sort of process of conciliation some repair of the habits or bad habits that they've been in it's unlikely that they're going to succeed in their marriage the second time so it's easy to have a situation whereby we say that god is going to come is going to force the redemption where we don't have to make a change and after 70 years we come back to the land. But frankly, we might physically come back to the land, we might physically build the temple, but it's only a matter of time before it's going to get destroyed again. And by the same virtue, why have, been, why have we been in exile for 2,000 years? According to this model, God is waking, waiting for us to shape up. God is waiting for us to look at our natural national situation and say to ourselves oh boy how can we change how can we um, make a difference and when we make that change then suddenly we are engaged in a beautiful love relationship where we make the first move and then god makes the second move we make the third move and god makes the fourth move and suddenly we are in almost like a dance with god this is a real sense of renewal, a sense of repair, a sense of taking things to a situation where we are really rehabilitating the relationship. In other words, this is the the much harder road, but the benefits of such a model are incredible. These these two models are are, are offered by the Torah, and I think we made a pretty good case for why we should prefer the Dvarim model. And this brings me back to this time of year, the time of year in which we are all about repentance. And what's true about the nation is true about us as individuals, it's true about the nation, and it's true about individuals. We might want to go uh, into the high holy days and just hope that God will wipe out our sins. But all we'll do is we'll wake up the day after Yom Kippur and uh, we might have had the record wiped clean but we'll simply have another year where we will engage in the same bad habits in the same uh, character patterns that we've been in that we we regret and that we wish we could change but we're given this great gift of the of the days of repentance this week we've already started saying slichot the penitentiary prayers we get up early in the morning and um we, we we add some extra prayers, we're going to go into Rosh Hashanah, and then we have the 10 days of repentance. And this is actually a tremendous gift where, as a nation, we, we're meant to turn our, our minds and souls to really thinking about our lives. And in the ideal sense, what we're meant to really do is think up strategies and think up techniques where we can actually shift our behavior where we can actually take our practices and act in a different way next year than we have this year. And and then we'll find that we'll hopefully come to this point next year and we'll be different. We'll have, you know, uh, made those toxic relationships far more positive. We'll have learned how to talk to our children, talk to our spouse in, in ways which are far more positive. We will have uh, found ways to um, act in a manner that makes ourselves proud of ourselves rather than 
ashamed. So here we go. The next two weeks are going to be pretty intense. But our Parsha Shavuot this week gives us a model about how we're not waiting for God. God is indeed waiting for us. Um, there's a remarkable Midrash which uh, has God and Israel in an argument. Uh, God turns around to the people and says, Shuvu elai aleichem. You return to me, and then I'll return to you, says God. And Israel turns around and says, No, that's not the right model. Hashivenu Hashem God, if you bring us to you, we will return. The question, of course, is who's meant to make the first move, God or Israel? Uh, in truth, um, I think that our calendar already makes the first move. There's almost uh, this time of year is pregnant with an invitation to do tshuva, an invitation for repentance, a sense as the seasons are changing, that we too need to change and buckle down as the winter approaches, as we're about to sow the seeds of the next year, which will only bear fruit in the spring. We have to ask and we have to do that preparatory work. We have to plough our fields. We have to go through the fields of our lives and uh, find a way to break through the hard earth and to allow a little bit of space, a little bit of room, so that we can plant uh, seeds which are more compassionate and which allow more room for um, for the crop of next year to actually be sown in a, in a better way. So we have this tremendous invitation, and what we have to do is put in the hard work, the hard work of introspection and of change, easier said than done, but we have a roadmap in this week's parsha which should lead us to a much higher level. Is God waiting for us, or are we waiting for God? The answer is that if we could wait for God, but that won't mean that we're changing But if God waits for us, if we're really willing to change, then the fruits of our labor will be much higher and we will succeed in really changing the things in our lives that we want to change. Thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom. And Shana Tova. Thank you, Rabbi Israel. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem.